Joe's freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Salk. All right, here we go. It is Brock and Salk, CL Sports on 710, clsports.com, Seattle Sports app, and, and all the podcast platforms out there. Good to be with you guys this morning or this afternoon or this evening or whenever it is that you are choosing to listen to this show. I'll get to the Mariners in one that sec. seems appropriate. Yeah, I, it's a big sigh. Uh, it's just been quite the experience watching this team over the last couple of days with my dad uh, and my mom, too, but especially my dad, who, you know, watches nothing but the Red Sox ever. And then he's just like watching the Mariners with me. And just horrified by some of what he's, he's like, wait, that's their at bat? How many times does this team strike out? Man, they strike out a lot. Are they striking out again? Is this normal? Is this what they do? What's wrong with Julio? I thought he was supposed to be good. These are the types of things that have been buzzing in my ear over the course of the last few days trying to watch this baseball team, which has really, really been hard to do. I, I got to tell you, this is so unbelievably disappointing to see what they've done coming out of the break as, as, as rough as the first half was. And it was disappointing. There's no, no other way to say it. They were still in it, right? I mean, we talked about it. You looked at their schedule in the second half. You looked at where they were in the standings and they came into the second half. What? Six games behind Texas. Okay. That's doable. 10-game homestand against a lousy Detroit team, an okay Minnesota team, and a Toronto team that you've kind of gone back and forth with and battled. Okay. To start off that homestand 2-4 and four is an absolute laying of an egg. <laughs> like a big old buck, 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 chicken laying an egg. Well, and meanwhile, the Angels are now a game ahead of you in the wild card. Uh, and, and the Rangers have not lost. You're 10 games back in the division. You know, the, the the great and ancient Mariner, the Graz, would always say when you're 10 games back, when it hits double digits, that's when it's time to give up. 10 games is sort of the, the, the litmus test. And they briefly fell to 10 games earlier this year and then kind of got on a hot streak and Texas faltered and they kind of brought themselves back into it. And for the record, they're only five and a half out in the wild card. So it's not over, over. But, man, what they've done coming out of the break here is uh, disappointing's not the right word for it. What's, what's the next word after disappointing? Unless you're of the belief that when someone says they're disappointed in you, that's the ultimate kill shot. If that's the case, yes. I'm not mad at the Mariners. I'm just extremely disappointed. And, and, and there's so many people that you can kind of put onto that list of who has been disappointing. Julio. Tay Oscar. France, Suarez, love to see that he's actually gotten hot here in the last couple days, but hasn't been enough, right? I I mean, like, and that's before you get to the guys that were brought in and have just absolutely sucked the life out of this team. I, 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 why is AJ Pollock on this roster? Why is Colton Wong still here? Like, it's, it's, it's end of July. It's July 20th. Why are they here? What am I missing? 
I, I, maybe there's nobody else out there. And, I, you know, I kind of run through this last night. I was trying to, okay, what would I do if I were in charge? I'd cut those two guys. They're two veterans that are not helping. I, I like, I don't know what else to like, just move on. Didn't work. Bite the bullet. Stinks. Why are they here? I, I'm trying to figure out how to ask Jerry that question today. And I don't want to be rude. Right. I mean, like, I can't I can't say it that way to Jerry on this show. That's that's inappropriate as much as I might like to just as you might. I got to find the right way to say, what are we doing? Colton Wong does not look like a major league hitter. A.J. Pollock does not contribute anything right now to this baseball team that somebody else couldn't do. Oh, he's right handed. Cool. So what? I'm not saying Cade Marlowe is a huge upgrade. He's probably not. By all accounts, Cade Marlowe can't hit anything that moves. But okay, at least he can run. At least there's some pop. Some pop. At least that's... if he accidentally runs into one, it might go out of the park. A.J. Pollock, if he accidentally runs into one, might get one out of the outfield. Didi Gregorius has been horrible. Horrible. Well, and he also might just stay at third when there's a chance to run home. Oh, my gosh, right? And lose a game. Didi Gregorius has not done anything at Tacoma. I went and checked because I was like, oh, maybe that's the answer. Cut Wong and bring up Gregorius, another left-handed hitter. He's been pretty lousy. So it's not like I'm looking at this going, bring up Gregorius, and that'll fix things offensively. It won't. But at least Didi Gregorius is known as a leader, is known as a, as the type of veteran that you want on your team. And I'm not taking a shot at Colton Wong's personality. By all accounts, great dude, and he was awesome when he came on with us. But I see a dude who's so frustrated, who's so locked up into his own head, trying to save his own career, that there's nothing he can do to help the other people around him. Move on! It didn't work! Patience is the shortcut right until it takes you off a cliff like a lemming. Move on! And I know that neither of those guys were at fault last night. Although, although, I think a better defensive player gets to that ball that Wong couldn't get to. And maybe then, was that in the, in the eighth when, when uh, Munoz gave it up? I think it might have been. Maybe that's the difference in that ball game. Maybe you don't give up the run in the eighth and then you don't go to your guy making his major league debut and you don't give up two more runs and you don't see Duran in the ninth and everything turns out differently. But it doesn't go that way because Colton Wong lets it go right under his glove. I think that's what's even more frustrating when he's struggling at the plate is he's a former gold glover and you think, oh, he'll work with Perry Hill. We've seen what he can do with defensive players. And he'll be great. And he's not been good. He's not been good at all. And I, I, you know, I think that's an effort thing personally based on what we've seen Perry Hill do with other people. If you want to put in the work and listen to Perry Hill and you're a major league player. I'm not talking about you take some stiff off the street. You're a major league player who a couple of years ago won a gold glove. You should be able to get better if you work at it. I'm not calling out Colton Wong for not working. I have no idea whether that guy works hard and, you know, behind the scenes or not. But it would seem to me if he was that he would have gotten better. And instead his defense kills him last night. So I, I don't I don't know what comes next, guys. I don't know what you do. Do I think Scott Service is at fault? <clears throat> no, not really. Do I think he's done a great job this year? No. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Scott's up for manager of the year. He took a pretty good roster, and it's been disappointing. That's on him to a certain extent. 
but I feel like I've seen Scott try to push all the right buttons. Right? He 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 gets to Suarez, and guess what? Gino kind of picks it up, and it works for a couple days. And then the moment this team hits even a modicum of, of adversity, more you were saying it before the show. They just they just give in. It's like one the thing one goes wrong. Mistake, and then the next person's like, oh, my turn. And then the ne- it's just it, the way that last year the good things would stack up. You know, Dylan Moore would come through with a random great hit, and then someone else would come through. It, someone it, steal year, a base or whatever. They they managed to stack up lousy plays right now. You're absolutely right. And last the last two nights have been really prime examples. Games that were right there within your grasp. And when it was all said and done, not only didn't you win them, you didn't even come particularly close. Since when is that this Mariner team? Since when, like when did this happen? I know it's been over the course of the last three and a half months, so it's not like overnight. But compared to what we've watched the last few years, how did this happen? Guys, I understand that they didn't do what you wanted them to do in the offseason. I get it. Does that explain what we've seen in terms of the Ty France falling? Ty France is hitting at the bottom of the order. This guy was supposed to be the best hitter on your team. He's hitting in, in the bottom third of your order. What? Maybe what you said yesterday is actually the best argument for why you should just make some changes, even if you don't think Cade Marlowe is going to do much better than Colton Wong, because yesterday you said that it's, there's so much history this season where you think it's built up yes. and they, they, they get in their own heads and they don't trust the guy behind them. Maybe just some fresh faces to get out of that. It's as good an argument as any, quite frankly. I, obviously, I said it. It must have been very, very smart when I said <laughs> it. Uh, I didn't remember saying it, but yes, you're right. Um, well, when you're like Gregorius and Marlowe aren't doing any better, it's not the greatest argument to be like, let's get rid of Wong and Pollock and put them in. But yeah, I mean, maybe just. Well, I think it's just recognizing the fact that it's not like I think there's a savior out there that's better. But at some point, you just got to change it up, maybe even for change's sake, because what you're watching is 100 percent unacceptable baseball, to use Bob Stelton's word. It is. That's unacceptable baseball for a team that's got a lot riding on not just this year, but the development of some of the guys here. And if you think Shohei Otani's looking at this and thinking, oh, I want to come up to Seattle and fix things next year. <laughs> no. Why would he? Why would he want to come fix things when he's being offered places where he doesn't need to fix anything? He can just enter the situation and win. What would you want to do? Yeah, I don't. I don't know what they do next. I don't. I, I don't know what the next plan of action is, but I hope it's something. I know Jerry said a couple of weeks ago an off day is just an off day. They don't have an off day today, but they got a short, you know, early game matinee, which gives you the rest of the day to make changes if you want to. I'd like to see something happen after the game today. I'd like to see, especially if they lose. I'd like to see something happen. I'd like to see some changes made. Now, I don't know what that means. But I do feel like you got to shake this up in some way because coming out and losing four out of six, and if they lose today, five out of seven after the break, dear Lord, that was not part of the plan. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, another night and another brutal stinging loss for the Mariners who are in the process of sinking right out of contention. This time... Well, it starts with a familiar issue, just a complete failure to generate offense and score runs. But they coupled it last night with a little bullpen meltdown and a brutal pass ball just to vary the agony. All tied up in the eighth inning, the 1-1. It's high and it gets out of the glove of Murphy. Here comes Kepler. He's on his way home and he scores. 
It was a slider up, and Murphy could not put a squeeze on it. It trickles to the backstop, and the Twins take an eighth-inning lead. It's 4-3 to three Minnesota. Ugh, that was not great. Part of a little Munoz meltdown in the eighth, and they gave up more in the ninth, and the next thing you know, what was a 3-3 game turns into a, what, 6-4 game, and that, or 6-3 game, rather, and that's how it ends because they just aren't able to generate any ability to bring themselves back. What happened on that pitch? I, I think it was. Yeah, obviously, you know, we behind the plate, and Mooney's got such a good, you know, that wipeout slider. You're looking for the ball down, ready to block it. It stayed up and, you know, got away from them. So, um, again, they, they got a couple hits in the inning to create the traffic, to create an opportunity, and, you know, they caught a break. Yeah, well, they gave them a break, I think is another way to say it. It's just been too much of that recently. As for Luis Castillo, I mean, he was actually pretty good. He gives up three runs in six innings, but he struck out 11. I mean, the ball was moving all over the place. They do get a home run from Tom Murphy. They do get a tying shot from Eugenio Suarez, a two-run home run, to kind of bring them back into it. But as we said, Munoz struggled in the eighth, and then poor newcomer Tevin Sweet gave up two in the ninth. That was it. So now you're 10 back of Texas. You're five and a half out in the wild card. You're two and four on this homestand. And you got one more to play here against Minnesota. Matinee, twelve forty start. George Kirby against Pablo Lopez today, and then Toronto will come in for the weekend. If you don't get this together, it is going to be an ugly, ugly situation when we show up for work on Monday. Here's the second thing you need to know. A couple of roster moves before the game yesterday, and uh, well, they needed to happen. The team sent down Ty Adcock and Isaiah Campbell both of whom were kind of forced to wear it in the loss on Tuesday night after Brian Wu didn't have it and had to come out early. Campbell said a little success. I'll bet we'll see him again. Adcock, a couple of moments, but really that guy was hit harder than you would like. Kind of thought he might even be sent down after the three-run home run he gave up on Monday. So in their place, we will see Prelander Baroa. Finally, guy we thought we might have seen make the team right out of spring training. Strikes me as like an exaggerated version of Matt Brash. Ridiculous stuff. Not exactly 100% sure where it's going all the time. And then Devin Sweet called up as well. He's a cool story. Undrafted kid who's really emerged as a threat. Has a great slider, but unfortunately, you saw last night, gives up a two-run shot in his major league debut. Uh, Also yesterday, Johnny Farmello, the second first-round pick of the Mariners, did sign and was there taking batting practice at T-Mobile. We talked to Scott Hunter, who says he's got some tools. I would say probably Johnny Farmello speed-wise. Um, Johnny Farmello went to the uh, Major League uh, uh, Draft Combine and was, I think, the third fastest in the draft class. So getting a player that has left-handed physicality, power from the left side, can play center field, and is a physical power mm-hmm. runner who's going to be able to steal some bases is pretty exciting for us. Um, I mean, just to get that combination of speed and power is kind of rare in the scouting world. Well, I know he's only 17, but combination of speed and power, maybe he can come up and play for the Mariners right now because they could use pretty much all of that. Here's the third thing you need to know. It's not been an overly active offseason for the Kraken, but they have made sure to take care of the guys that they want to move forward with. Yesterday, that list starts to include Dave Haxtall, gets an extension through the 2025-26 season. Ron Francis, who was also extended earlier this offseason, said in the release, we believe we're heading in the right direction with Dave as our head coach, and it was important to show that confidence with this contract extension. Dave and his staff have done a great job of creating a close-knit team-first mindset 
set in our locker room, and their work ethic helps set the tone for our team. As for Haxtell, he joined us a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, he certainly had a better second year than he did first. We felt like we were a little bit better than what our record showed in year one. But in some cases, maybe it's okay that we had to go through that. That's part of the building process. You, you learn a lot about the character of individuals and the character of your group. You know, as you go through the last 20 games of year one, those were, the, uh, those were hard months. But guys stuck with it, and we saw a foundation. Yeah, do you like the offseason that they've had so far? It's kind of interesting. I like the guys they've got. I get, right, they went out and got Yamamoto's, got some grid, Demelin, who can be a pretty good player, but... It's interesting. They didn't kind of go for it, go for it, at least as far as we know right now. I think they've got young guys knocking at the door, and it just kind of makes me wonder when they think their window truly opens. Maybe it's not yet. Maybe they want to see if some of these young guys kind of grow into it before they start to make bigger moves, or maybe that's just not part of what their DNA is wired as. Uh, uh, let's see. Open championship going on as well right now. we got a tie at the lead. Tommy Fleetwood. How about Tommy? He's on the 18th hole, and uh, he is uh, five under, as is Christian Lembrecht, who is uh, not a big name. A couple other recognizable ones. Stuart Sink is three under. Jordan Spieth finished his round at two under. Just a couple shots back. Wyndham Clark is in that same spot. Patrick Reed is actually one under. And uh, Brooks Kepka is one under somewhat early in the round. That is everything you need to know. And we do that quarter pass to every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Yeah. I, is I will, that a Tommy Fleetwood? Is that, is that your Yeah, guy? you like Tommy? I, no, I, I just, I know you're usually a Jordan Spieth guy, but you got really excited when you said Tommy Oh, it's Fleetwood. fun to see Tommy in the leaderboard. He never wins, uh, but he's fun. <laughs> he's He's got the long hair, British guy playing at the British Open. It's interesting when you look at, uh, I'm sorry, the Open Championship. You don't want to offend the Brits. They get very upset when you call it the British Open, but... Uh, you know, this is one of those tournaments where you start to see a lot of kind of names that you're not as familiar with because it's not just guys who dominate in the sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, target golf atmosphere that we have here in the U.S. You got to be able to do things a little differently with the wind and just sort of completely different style course. And uh, so, yeah, you'll see more names of guys from Europe who who can succeed over there. So, yeah, it'd be fun to see Tommy Fleetwood succeed. I like Tommy. Ricky Fowler's having another good tournament, which is cool. And Jordan, if he hadn't bogeyed 18, would have been three under and right in the thick of things. So he's in, he's in a good spot. We like it. We like what he did today, Mar. We're, we're just fine oh, with it. Good. I'm yeah. glad to hear it. We're happy. All right, let's see. Uh, Ryan Davis is going to join me at 7.30 to talk through what happens next for these Mariners. Will there be action at some point? And then obviously Jerry Depoto at 8.30 this morning. Before we get there, and certainly there's a lot of negative to talk about today, there has been some positive in the last week or two, and honestly, that's more for the future as the Mariners went out and did have three of the top 30 picks in this year's draft. We'll hear about who they got coming up next on Brock and Salk. Sales Sports on 710, salesports.com. Bump and Stacy weekdays 10 to 2. The Hawks made a list, but it's a good one. Talk to me. It's called the Future Power Rankings. Everyone is Miss Cleo these days, this time of the year. And at number six, you got your Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that because of their draft, right? They rank them having the best drafts in the last couple of years. Because of their draft, they are going to be a team to be reckoned with. And I believe them, and I hope that the Hawks prove them right. The Hawks finally get some love. This is Seattle Sports. On 710 and at seattlesports.com. 
Yeah, it's summertime, man. Lots of road trips. I just took one myself, and it's great being in a Volkswagen that I got at Carter VW. Throw everything that you need in the trunk and still have room for your golf clubs as well. Now, do you know about the ID4 EV? That's their electric vehicle. It's in stock right now, eligible for a $7,500 lease bonus. And if you haven't looked at today's electric vehicles, you got to understand, they got so much technology. It can even be overwhelming to somebody who's new to the whole EV world. Well, that's why the ID4 SUV was designed with the goal of simplifying the driver's entire life in the car by creating a real easy, enjoyable experience behind the wheel. The ID4 offers a wide range of intelligent features like wireless app connect for compatible devices, voice controls, a little kick to open rear hatch for groceries, and then a few other things that are unique to just the ID4. You can set the mood. So if you're looking to activate ambient lighting or preset moods in the ID4, you can quickly and easily dim all the interior lights just using your slider bar which is right in front of you in the whole infotainment system and customize everything you want to do in that car that infotainment system is unbelievable in this vehicle you can lease one now for 349 a month for well-qualified customers and if you want to compare that to a tesla a model 3 is 429 and a model y is 554 so come shop a carter volkswagen they have no second sticker they don't charge over msrp and they got vehicles in stock ready for immediate delivery in store or 24 Seven online at cartervw.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Mentioned a few times, big day yesterday. The Mariners have gotten a bunch of their draft picks signed. I think all but one of them have signed, if I read this uh, correctly and if I have good information. I'll tell you what, let's go right to a primary source. Scott Hunter does all of this work for the Mariners and was in charge of this draft and he takes a few minutes to join us here right now. Scott, good morning. Thanks for being with me. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for uh, for having me. So, what, you got almost everybody signed, right? Do I have that right? Is it all but one player signed so far? Yeah, we are uh, We are almost at the end of this thing, and uh, we have one more to go. And who uh, Johnny Formello actually flew in last night, so I spent an extra day here in Seattle before I head out to my summer work, and uh, we're going to get him done today over at the ballpark, so it'll be a lot of fun to finally get this draft class you know, going and underway. How'd you do? I think we did really well. I mean, I think, you know, as an organization, like we, it's a fun time to be a, a scout with the Seattle Mariners. I mean, we see a lot of our players graduating to the big leagues. Um, it was a lot of fun yesterday when I was able to take Colton and uh, Ty Pete through the clubhouse yesterday, and the first three guys we see are Bryce Miller, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby, and they all walk over, and you start looking back at the things our, our scouts have done um, over the last five, six years, and, and those kids are a representation of, you know, what we did with the, the first couple years of our, our drafts, and now we have another class coming 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 through that can hopefully push push another wave of players to, to Seattle for us. When you're going into a draft like this last one, where you have essentially three first round picks, I know it's not exactly that, but it is almost in theory three first round picks. How does that change your approach, or does it at all? Um, I think I don't know if it really changes anything because we've been pretty consistent and disciplined over the first. I said this is my seventh seventh draft with the Mariners, so over the first six years we've been pretty disciplined of really trying to make good decisions, build out a process that really works for us and stay with it. And when you have three first-round picks, like the, the, everything, the whole, whole talent pool is open to you. And to have three, it, it does create a little more travel, does create a little more 
um, I don't want to say chaos, but I would say excitement because you're not sure what's going to fall to you. I mean, even though we had three first-round picks, they're still in the back of the first round. So the uh, travel days and the work we had to do was probably, I wouldn't say tripled, but there was a lot of extra work going into this class since it was such a deep uh, player pool. How much do you need to think about signability? I think about these guys all signing and you know a lot of high school kids that you took, especially up high. How, how much do you have to know or can you know about signability heading into it? Yeah, no, it, it's a big part of what we do because obviously when you draft players, you want to draft them for the right reasons, for their ability on the field, but uh, getting them done and signed and making sure this is part of what they want to do in their lives. I mean, I was a 17-year-old kid when I was drafted and I passed up on college and, and went out to play pro ball myself. And, and to see these young kids at this age, as mature as they are, you know, there's still a lot of life decisions that they're probably not prepared for, but uh, making that step away from college and going into professional baseball, it's exciting, but it's also something that uh, when we sit down with these kids we want to make sure that it's something they're willing to give up because you know w- once draft day is over it's time to go to work and it's not saturday football games on a college campus it's you know backfields on, in peoria in 117 degree weather getting getting your work in yeah i mean that's a pretty significant difference there's no doubt <laughs> talking to scott hunter director of amateur scouting for the mariners who just had a great draft um if there was one sentence, how would you describe your overall philosophy of what you are looking for for the Seattle Mariners? Wow. Um, that's, I don't know if there's one word, but I, I do think, you know, I, I guess wired right. I mean, that is something that I've preached here for the last seven years is, you know, we're always looking for, you know, good players and there's a lot of talent throughout the country, but it's okay to pass on a player we don't think is a Seattle Mariner type of player. Um, you know, we have some of our core values of dominating the strike zone, but, and, and also having athletes up the middle, you know, like most organizations do, middle to field players with big tools. But a big part of what we've, we've done here is getting the right person for the Mariners. I mean, if you the names I rattled off earlier, the George Kirby's, the Logan Gilberts, uh, I mean, the Bryce Millers, Cal Raleigh, they're different kind of kids that, you know, when we sign them, you know, I always challenge them. I said, you know, one, it's one thing coming a professional baseball player. It's another getting to the big leagues. But at the end of the day, it's about winning in the big leagues and making a change here in Seattle. And last year was, you know, the start of that, I believe, when we you know, broke the 20-year playoff drought. And we're getting the right kids that are driven by the right things, and that's winning here in Seattle. How much does the ballpark play a role in what you're looking for? Uh, not so much. I mean, not for us. I mean, I think over the years, I mean, they've talked a lot about, you know, do we want more speed and athleticism? Is it a power-driven ballpark, which we know early in the season the ball doesn't fly as much. But I really don't think, it does, you know, at the amateur level, because these kids are such, you know, in, in, they're in their infant, uh, infancy stages of their careers. We don't even know. We, we, we think we're really good at what we do, but these kids are going to tell us, you know, how good we are by going through our development program and surprising us. So if we can continue to put good players that are driven by the right things and obviously to have really good ability and tools across the board we, you know we think we're going to be able to develop them into things that are going to excite us and even surprise us along the way when you uh i want to talk about this this group maybe a little bit more specifically and i've heard this from other gms in the past probably more in football than in baseball but they say oh yeah there was one guy in this draft we felt like we had to come out of the draft with maybe not even a first round pick maybe a later round pick was there a guy in this draft that you felt like you just it would be a win if you came out of the draft with him yeah, I mean, it's easy to say the three, the first three we have. I mean, Colt, Colt Emerson, Johnny Farmello, and Ty Peter. 
are three different but very similar players because of the the kind of talent they're driven. They're middle of the field athletes. They're they're kids that are you know have way different personalities. But when they sit in a room together, you can see the energy that they're building off of. And all three of them seem to be friends before we even knew we we were going to take them because they all played on Team USA. They played did the summer circuits last year. So there is a, a level of comfort that these three kids coming into the program um, know each other and are going to drive each other in, in different ways because um, of their personalities. But I would say you know one of the guys that we did make work in the fourth round, Aiden Smith is already in minicamp. One of our area scouts, Patrick O'Grady, was he's the one scout all year long that kept texting me videos of every every at bat this kid would have, and he says, "Hey, don't forget about this one. He didn't do the circuit. He's a little under the radar." And he just kept plugging away, and our scouts kept going in and just reminding me of him. Um, and he's already in minicamp, and I'm getting getting rave reviews from our coaches saying, how did we get this kid in the fourth round? Because he's another young, upside, high school, middle-of-the-field player, probably going to be a center fielder. And our high-performance group down there is already saying, this kid's not even strong yet. He goes, well, imagine what we can do with him once he gets into our uh, strength and conditioning mm-hmm. program. So I would have to say he's probably been the, the most exciting player so far. Cool. Um, it, it, just with the positive reviews we've had at, at you know at such an early stage. So I, I know you're in the scouting phase of it more than the development phase, but maybe you can help me with this. So Cole Emerson is a shortstop. Ty Pete is a shortstop. When these two guys get together, I assume they're, they'll be at the same level to start. They're both coming out of high school. Who's the shortstop? Luckily, that's not you know part of my pay grade, but <laughs> my, our goal is to put as many good players in into the system as possible. But you know, there's you know both of these players. I mean, they're both going to come out. They're all high school shortstops. I mean, they both can probably play shorts. I mean, we had Cole Young last year as a shortstop, but can also play second base. And I do believe Cole Emerson has seen some time at third. He's played short. He's played second. Um, even even with Ty, Ty's going to go out as a shortstop, but he's such a big kid and he can. He's such a interesting and you know just pure athlete. He looks like an NFL wide receiver. I mean, and he's got the speed to even play center field if he wanted to. It gives our player development a lot of options to move them around the field, which is actually a benefit to them. As long as they're getting their at-bats and developing their offensive skills, I think moving them around the infield and, and managing their time at what positions they're going to play is, is probably the easier part of it. Who has the single best tool of anybody you guys drafted this year? Wow, it, it's probably, I mean... God, that's that's a great question. I would say probably Johnny Farmello's speed-wise. Um, Johnny Farmello went to the uh, Major League co- uh, uh, Draft Combine and was, I think, the third fastest in the draft class. So getting a player that has left-handed physicality, power from the left side, can play center field, and is a physical power runner who's going to be able to steal some bases is pretty exciting for us. Um, I mean, just to get that combination of speed and power is kind of rare in the scouting world. The um, One other guy I want to make sure I asked you about was Teddy McGraw. Uh, he was your third-round pick, right-handed pitcher. And, you know, I, I just, just reading about him, it sure sounds like he's the kind of guy that might end up being the steal of this draft. What What is his story? Yeah, that's it. He's the, really exciting for us. I mean, we, we looked at him, obviously, we've done pretty well with the Brian Woos of the world, who's in our big league rotation right now, who we drafted, who was, our, who was injured at the time um, in the 2021, maybe, draft it was, or 2020. And, uh, you know, he was coming off of Tommy John, just blew his elbow out, and we just believed in his delivery and the stuff that was coming out of his hand prior to the injury. And, and that's something that we've kind of built here. Our pitching program has done exceptional things here. You know, the amount of arms we're producing in the big league, 
leagues, not only our starters, but guys like Ty Adcock and Isaiah Campbell graduating to the big leagues. I mean, we are producing arms from all areas of the draft. And we're also producing with our, you know, our performance team and our rehab coordinators. Like we are take, willing to take a shot on guys that have had some injuries, and Teddy is one of those guys. I mean, he unfortunately had a second Tommy John surgery uh, in January, but if he finished out this season before that injury, he probably would have been one of the top 15 players selected in in the draft. So there is a lot of risk on our end in regards to rehabbing him and getting him back to what he was, but there is also a lot of reward because this kid has a special, special arm when healthy. All right. Last- Last thing on on your class, is there anybody with a great story? With a with a great background, with a unique history, anything like that that we should yeah, know about? There are quite a I mean, there are I mean, we have a lot of smart kids I know. So we had a couple kids that were, you know, one you know, a couple of our senior signs that are uh you know, went to Duke and then went to uh Vanderbilt for their fifth year and turned down MIT out of uh out of high school and chose one of those. So we do have some future, you know, if they don't want after their playing careers are over and they play ten years in the big leagues, we may have a few future GMs, but I think the most interesting baseball story is probably Brock Rodden. Brock Rodden from Wichita State was a senior that we you know, obviously we we very we valued very high, but he was a, a drafted a drafted player last year that went in I think the tenth or eleventh round to Oakland and he's probably Five foot nine, but he hits the ball extremely hard. He <laughs> plays the middle of the field. He's, you know, a seventy runner on our, our our running scale. But he chose to go back to Wichita State. He says, "I think I can. I think I'm a better player than than being a tenth round pick." And he goes back to school, and all he was was a player of the year um, in his his uh, division there. And he becomes a fifth round pick. And he he has an edge to him. I got to meet him at mini camp last week, and he is going to be a fun player to watch for our organization. And not only his tools and ability on the field. But the attitude and the chip on his shoulder that he plays with is, is the kind of attitude I think a clubhouse needs that's, uh, that plays winning baseball. You ever get to watch the Mariners? Uh, yeah, this time of year. <laughs> I'm just sort of curious. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm You're always on the road, right? The signings, but I, I usually get a lot of the highlights or, you know, travel around the country. I'm usually on the East Coast a lot because that's where I make home still. But um, <laughs> I will put it on my phone and, and watch the games, especially when a lot of our draft kids are getting there. But so, uh, so I get just, as many games as I can in. Such a specialized job, what it is you're doing in an organization. But I appreciate it. It's interesting to learn about this stuff. I know it'll be a few years before we see all these guys. But as we've seen over the last few years, this is if you're going to be a draft develop and trade organization, as Jerry says, you got to get the drafting part right. And it's been pretty cool to see some of these. If you're looking for smart guys in the past, I know you, I know the team has taken some Pomona Pitzer guys. So let's just you know put it on the board next time. More Pomona guys, and I feel like you'll you'll achieve what you need. Okay, can we make that promise moving forward? We can we can try to make that work in the future. Absolutely. All right, thank you. Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for taking a few minutes, man. Congratulations, and uh, I'm sure we'll do it again next year. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. All right, that's Scott Hunter, who is uh, the Mariners' uh, amateur scouting director. So basically the guy in charge of the draft. That's sort of his uh, his bellywick. And a uh, nice job by him. By all accounts, Mariners did a good job with their, uh, with their three first-round picks this year and a couple other guys to watch in there as well. All right, more Mariners stuff to come. I'm going to get away from them for a little bit, take like a deep breath, and uh, eventually come back to baseball at 7, and then we'll talk to Divish at 7.30. I want to talk about the Seahawks for a few minutes as we are inside a week to training camp, which still bugs me out that it's like already upon us. It feels like the football season just gets longer and longer and takes up more of the year, which is a good thing, uh, especially when there's some hope and excitement around this team and what it looks like this year. You know, I remember being over there last season 
And just, you know, the berm didn't seem the same. The excitement around training camp didn't seem the same. We kept looking at it going, man, where are all the fans? It just weren't as many people in sort of that raucous environment that you were used to seeing. And I think a lot of that had to do with the quarterback issue, right? Russell was gone. There was a strong belief that they didn't have anybody to replace him. By the way, put me in that category. And another group of people, of which I was not part of, who said, oh, Pete is the problem, and they got rid of the wrong guy. They should have gotten rid of Pete instead of getting rid of Russ. And so, you know, I think everyone sort of started last year this time with a lot of trepidation about where the Seahawks were going. And we didn't know that that rookie class was going to break out the way it did. We didn't know that things seemed to have changed. We didn't know that Shane Waldron and Geno Smith seemed to be on the same page and that Geno would start to lead. There's a lot we didn't know at this point last year. Here here's a question I'll ask you heading into this season where it does appear as if, you know, again, this is a a better team on paper or at least in our confidence level than we thought last year. Can they achieve more? Well, you know, obviously that remains to be seen. And they've got some some glaring holes and weaknesses where you look at them and say, "Geez, I don't I don't know whether they're going to be good enough in that spot." Do they have enough big-time playmaking stars? I don't know. ESPN's panel seems to believe that they don't have more than one player on the entire roster in the top 10 of their position. That's DK Metcalf at number eight for wide receivers. Okay, well, when I read that, I go, are we kidding ourselves in thinking that this is a good team? Or are they just deep and you know maybe not particularly strong at the very top of the roster? but deep enough to be able to beat teams with their depth and with sort of a team concept. Maybe they also have some issues at specific position groups. So I'll ask you if you could improve one unit on this team to make it either better than advertised or better than it's been, who, who would you choose if you could improve one unit? Defensive tackle. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the <laughs> the easiest answer on this, right? And you could see an argument for linebackers, right? I could I could make you an argument that the linebackers, if they were to be better than, sure. than we think, that would help. I mean, if quarterback is even better than we think, that means they'll probably go places. So that's kind of a cheaty kind of an argument. But yeah, defensive line, defensive tackle is the the obvious answer here based on how little we think of this group right now. Let me give you one other suggestion, though, because that's probably the answer that 95% of Seahawks fans will come up with. And I'm right there with you more. I think that is the thing that if they were better than we think, that will help this group a lot. But how about offensive line? I've seen a couple of rankings recently, like here in the last couple of weeks, that have put the Seahawks as a top 10 unit, maybe not with top 10 players, but a top 10 unit. And I think a lot of that is based on projection rather than on what they've seen in the past. You're projecting that your two rookie tackles from a year ago are going to improve this season. Is that going to happen? I don't know. But I would project that it will, right? Don't you think Abe Lucas and Charles Cross are going to be better after getting a full season starting at their respective positions last year? I do. Charles Cross, a top 10 pick. I expect him to be better than he was last year, and I thought he was pretty good last year. Well, we always hear about how it's one of the units that um, it's they need cohesion and reps together the most, and they and they got that. They seem to feel comfortable with Geno Smith last year, so I would 
definitely expect improvement. I, I expect improvement from I the guess, two tackles. I guess maybe the yeah the guard. Well, that's where this good. gets interesting, right? Now you've got to keep projecting in order to believe that this team is going to be better than a year ago. I would expect Damian Lewis to be roughly the same as he was last year. Okay, so now you're talking about three of your five positions. I have an expectation that your tackles are better and your left guard stays roughly the same. So what do you think happens at center and right guard? That That's essentially the question. Well, was the center position particularly good last year? No. I mean, you have a chance. I would hope that it's at least going to be the same as it was with Austin Blythe. Right, I mean, you've got Evan Brown I, I and or Ola with Timmy. Important in getting Shane Waldron's offense across to the rookies. Right. I don't know if his yes, his play on the field was transcendent, but I think he was important for the role he had last year. I, I, you're probably right about that, but he was not particularly talented at that stage in his career. So, or can one of these two guys improve upon it? And then at, at right guard, where you know, look. Gabe Williams was basically, you know, done over the course of last year, right? I mean, he was in, he was out, et cetera. And then finally, you know, Phil Haynes, who was back, ended up kind of being just as much of a starter as he was. And now you're going to add Bradford into that mix as well. I don't know whether Bradford gets it right away, but certainly you're adding some more beef. You're adding some more possibility. So I, I could look at them and make you a pretty strong argument that they improve over what they were last year. And if that's the case... Imagine how different this team looks this year, right? It, it, it doesn't. You're not asking anyone to be like much better than they've ever been. Most of those guys just haven't done it yet. You're asking for just incremental growth from your young players. You're asking for Damian Lewis to just be who he's been, and then you got to have somebody kind of figure out that center spot. And if they do, you have an offensive line that makes things easier for the entire rest of this team. Do you remember two years ago, I think more is when we first kind of started the the Mike Salk show, we had a conversation about how offensive line was maybe more important than scheme. Not that it's the most important position on the field, but remember we were kind of talking like, oh, you can run this scheme or that scheme or this, and none of it matters if your offensive line just doesn't allow your scheme to happen. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can have – you know, the the run and shoot, or you can have the spread, or you can have the West Coast. It doesn't matter if nobody if has enough time to do it. Yeah. Right. Like that that's when the the Joes beat the or whatever it is, the pros beat the what's the stupid expression about that? I forget. Whatever that expression the is. Joes beat the pros? Now it's about the design scheme and I forget. It doesn't matter. You get my point. The point is that that if you have a good enough offensive line, you can actually get your scheme to function. And I kind of think that almost any scheme can be successful in the NFL, that the guys at that level are good enough at what they do, that if you have the right players, especially on your offensive line, essentially anybody can be successful with their scheme. So if your offensive line is good and if it's better than last year, guess what? Your quarterback is better. He's got more time to throw. He's got more ability to, to, to make things happen. He can go deeper down the field. It improves your wide receivers, right, as they have more time to get open. But more than anything, it helps your run game, which is exactly what this team wants to do. They want to run the ball. They want to beat you down over the course of a whole game. And for too long, they've tried to do that without the horses up front to make it happen. 
I don't know if this offensive line is going to be a top 10 unit. I've seen some suggestions that it will be. If it is, Seahawks are better than last year. Even with their defensive holes. That's my gut. It says that if this offensive line is better than it was a year ago, as, as, as good as they were last year as a whole, and as bad as this defense looks like it could be, especially up front with the defensive line you mentioned, I don't know, maybe the answer is offensive line. I think I could at least talk myself into it as an argument for something other than defensive tackle. Well, it's the only group on the offense I think I you could I I think I'm fine with everyone else. Of course. I'm yeah. pretty happy with running back. I'm happy with receiver. I it's like you've got Geno Smith locked up. I I think he's going to be able to replicate what he did last year. Yeah, I, that's that's the group, I guess, if you have to pick one. I also would argue that if the offensive line does its job, not only will it make things, you know, better for everybody else on the offense, I think it makes life easier on the defense. Like you want to help yes. a defense that probably it, like we can say we want that defensive line to be better. It's probably not going to be. I, I mean, that's the one problem you run into. The offensive line has a chance to be better than it was a year ago. I don't think the defensive line really does. But what if the offensive line can help them by putting them in better situations where other teams can't run the ball against them, where other teams don't have the ball as often, where you keep them off the field, you keep them rested, you matriculate the ball down the field and have longer drives and all the things that can help a defensive line work? I don't know. Maybe I'm grasping at straws to try to help a defense that I think is still going to have issues this year. But I'm going to be watching that offensive line very closely as training camp gets going next week. All right. Coming up next, the Mariners just have completely laid a big, fat, hairy egg at home to start the second half. What do you do next? I don't know that I have a full answer, but I'm going to try to come up with it with you next. Brock and Salt, CL Sports on 710, clsports.com.